Good morning again, church. Hey, if you've got a Bible with you, open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be going through verses 16 through 22. When you got it, say you got it. 1 Peter 3, 16 through 22. We're over the halfway point. So far, so good, right? Who's been challenged by Peter so far? Mmm. Mmm. Hurts so good, right? Hurts so good. But it's a, it's a sobering, hopeful reminder that we are not our own. If I could borrow Paul's words, we're not our own, but we, we belong to God. We were bought at a price. And what a joy and opportunity and privilege it is to be a part of God's holy and humble people here on earth. If you are able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word? When we get to verse 22, would you read that aloud with me? This is God's word to us this morning. Peter's pen, inspired by the Spirit to us. It starts like this. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us close to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. There's a lot of uncomfortable language in here already, isn't there? There, there are several elephants in the room as, as we're reading through this passage, um, like baptism saves you. What's up with that, Peter? Uh, <laughs> I thought grace by faith in Jesus did that, right? Boy, oh boy. This is probably the hardest passage in the entire book. Um, but we need to keep our bearings straight, right? We're not going to get caught in the weeds today. Every, or every question that you have about who are those supposed spirits, right? There are a million and one interpretations. And I'm going to offer three today. And two of them, I think, are just not helpful. Who was it that, that when, when it says that Jesus was, was um, dead in the flesh, but a alive in the spirit. Multiple, multiple interpretations for that. We're not going to go through each one of them. I'll just try to handle a couple of them. And then baptism. 
Baptism, I'll, I'll say up front, and it's going to sound contradictory to the passage that we just read. Baptism does not save, but rather it correlates to something else. And I hope to prove that through thus working through this passage. Okay? But if the main idea of the book of 1 Peter is that we are a people of resistance, which are holy and humble and gentle in this really dark world, um, there might be a couple of offshoots throughout the rest of the book, like hope. Hope really matters to Peter. A people of resistance have a deep abiding assurance, which is really the focal point of the passage today, but it's also dealing with suffering. In fact, if holiness weren't the main theme of it, we might say that suffering is. This is important because God uses suffering to bring about incredibly good things. If you're working uh, off one of those, those sheets that were they're printed off for you in the, in the worship guide, though, um, just to take note, the, this is where we're going today. A people for resistance have assurance, and we can have this promise, God's promises, residing in the homestead of our mind and hearts, based upon four things. One, our hearts are always subject to change. In many ways, they need to change. Two, our hearts need forgiveness. We need to experience grace from God. Our hearts need reminders, and our hearts need strength, and not just any kind of strength, but a person of strength. Let's go down to verse 16. You got your Bible open. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those that revile your good behavior in Christ may not be put to shame. Conscience sandwiches this whole passage here. Do you see that? It's, it's labeled twice. Truth isn't based upon what I think or what I feel to be true. I think everyone would agree with this. Ben Shapiro, I mentioned him last week. I'll give him a little airtime this week too. And he's right when he says facts don't care about your feelings. That's true. That doesn't mean what you think and how you feel about what you think doesn't matter though. Having a good conscience is having a clean sense of what is right and wrong. And he's not just talking about knowing what's right and wrong intellectually, he's talking about having a sure confidence about what's right and true and good and beautiful that mobilizes every part of your being, even down to the core of who you are. Because in this instance, suffering is coming. He's talking about slander, but we know that hardship is coming for the church later on. And even today, people might talk about how you know, uh, you following a Jewish formerly dead guy, but now who is alive, they might look at you a little funny. Following Jesus comes with a price tag in this world. And there's a tension here that we have to deal with. That when we belong to Jesus and his kingdom, we still live here and now in what Peter would call Babylon. Babylon. In the story of God, you have the, store, or the, the city of God, Zion, where his people reside. And then you have Babylon, which is the kingdom of man. And there's this cosmic kind of tug of war happening in your heart 
every moment of every day. They want, someone wants to convince you to trade the truth of God for a lie. That lie is to convince you that God isn't who he says he is. You aren't who God says you are. And this world isn't what he says that it is. Every moment of every day, we're met with an opportunity to trust or untrust what God has taught us. To have assurance and security in this life, in God, or experience unrest and despair. Have you ever been a part of an unstable relationship before? Myself and one other person in the first service, we were the only two that raised our hands. I'm willing to wager that there might be a few more people in here that have been a part of unstable relationships. Okay, that's, we're getting more honest. That's okay. Now, shoot your hands up if you've been the reason why those relationships have been unstable. Anyone? Yeah, wow. We need to talk after, guys. <laughs> There's this thing called attachment theory and how people connect with one another, right? And the, the general idea is how people connect with other people. It's a learned behavior. And so if you have really solid, awesome, wonderful parents there's a greater likelihood for you to have really solid, lasting relationships going throughout your lifetime, right? But when people get hurt, you might become a bit more ambivalent or, or anxious in those relationships, right? You might be a little more scared and timid. You might be fearful, and you might not want to be honest with people. This isn't necessarily how we look at God, but we certainly do have a relationship with him. Sometimes the way that we relate to God is very similar to how we relate to other people in this life. And we're kind of skittish around him, maybe not taking him at face value, especially when bad stuff comes our way. We might not want to lean into his strength and his grace because it looks like the world is falling down around us. But friends, we're able to have a stable, lasting relationship with God when we realize that he isn't like every other person that we've tried to connect with before. And we've heard last week, there's absolutely no need for us to fear, right? God is most powerful, most wise, most present, in times of help and need. Peter said that we can be convinced that suffering for good reasons is a good thing and God seeks to make good out of bad things that happen in your life. Do you believe that? How does he do that? Look at how he does it through the person of Jesus. We, we need forgiveness from him. Our hearts need forgiveness. Go down to verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
even being put to death. Do you see the need? Do you see the reason why God needed to come? Why Jesus needed to come on our behalf? What does he say? He says it's because of sin. You can call it transgression, uncleanliness. You can call it treason against God's kingdom. And he drills down deeper. And he says that the righteous one, Jesus, came for the unrighteous. If Jesus is the only one that's righteous, who are the unrighteous? Me again. Jesus counts me in that. Peter counts us in that. He says that the trustworthy came for the untrustworthy. The honest one came for the dishonest. Jesus the just came for the unjust. Jesus came for us. But look at who he brings us to. He brings us to God himself through his death. Is anyone, like I'm floored by that. My favorite quote of all time from J.I. Packer, he defines the gospel in three short, cute little words. He says, God saves sinners. In order to be rescued by God, it necessarily means that I need to have an appropriate evaluation of how awesome I am. And I just stand. Amen? Right. Boil it down. God comes to save sinners. Jesus comes to love the unjust towards God. Jesus comes to serve those that are dishonest towards God. How many of you young people, only talking to young people right now, how many of you have heard from your parents, I don't want so-and-so to come over my house. I know he's your friend, but hey, look, he kind of smells weird. Or he's just like not a good influence. You you know what I mean? You, You guys have some of those friends. You don't have to name anyone's name. Don't point at someone right in front of you. Goodness. We've all had those friends that our parents wish we were more like. Be like them because they get good grades. Be like them because they're an upstanding citizen. Be like them because they clean their room when their parents ask them once. And I had friends and I was a friend like the ones that you didn't want to have at your house. Jesus desires to make friends with you and me. I promise you, though, it's not because we're good influences on him. Jesus comes for the unjust and the unlovely. Those of us that are most arrogant and most selfish, Jesus comes to love us toward his Father and welcomes us into his home, knowing full well that we're going to break stuff in his home, right? We're not always going to make him look good. We're not always a good influence on one another. But he comes once. Christ has suffered only 
once, he will never have to suffer again for the sake of making unrighteous, unlovely, unjust, unapproachable people to introduce them to his father and make them brand new. And he does this so in his body. Literally crucified, not figuratively. To pay the sin debt that you and I owe. But then we come to one of those, um, we're not quite sure. But we think it might be this kinds of of verses here. Again, I I alluded to it just a, a little bit ago, right? Being put to death in his flesh, but made alive in the spirit. There there are two possibilities I just want to wrestle with today. Either this means we're looking to Jesus both crucified as a human being and then resurrected as a literal human being. The omnipotent God chooses to suffer on behalf of people like us. He displays full humanity in the place of sinners. That's more like He dies in the flesh, just temporary, corruptible, perishable, but is raised to life in Holy Spirit power, living vibrantly, giving him life forever and ever, vindicating him, crowning him as Lord of all, and granting new life to anyone that trusts in him. And so this is the hope for anyone that trusts in Christ. Not that when you die, you become a really fat, like, angel baby, and you're sitting on a cloud, and you somehow magically learn how to play the harp. This, this is not the picture that he grants to us, right? He says that we will be like him, which also means heaven is a pit stop. Heaven is a pit stop. While we wait for him to come, and turn all sad things untrue. He says that we will be like him, not disembodied spirits, but resurrected both body and soul, an incorruptible, never perishing body. Tim, that doesn't sound quite right. Friends, why has Jesus got a body? And he actually still has a body today. This is why God loves We know that God loves the world and he loves humanity because Jesus is dressed in humanness. God wants to redeem it all. And then we get to the next difficult verse. Jesus went to preach. Mm, He stays preaching. But he goes to the spirits in prison. Let me just make... One thing clear about this. There are a lot of interpretations for this. And you don't have to have it all figured out right now. When we read the Bible or when we hear the Bible preached, sometimes there's conjecture. Sometimes your pastor gets it wrong. Sometimes your Sunday school teacher gets it wrong. I hope to own it when I get it wrong. But when we read and study, we can walk away with this, at least getting the main idea of what he's trying to communicate to us. Get to the main point. That's number one. 
Number two, we got to avoid major errors when we're trying to wrestle with the text. For instance, when people look at this passage, some people have put forth the idea that Jesus going to preach to people in prison, that obviously means Jesus went to hell. And now that Jesus died and rose again, like now there's a way for people to be rescued once they die. There's an entire denomination, an entire church that teaches that. But you find that nowhere else in the Bible, friends. That's what gives evangelism such urgency. I've been here for just over a hundred days. And I've been to three funerals so far. Um, And I went to one yesterday. For the Christian, they are an amazing, sorrowful, yet joyful experience. Because the very best thing that could happen to an individual happened. And that they get to see Jesus face to face. And they live in a world where they'll never have to cry again. But for people that are apart from Christ, it's not that. And so for your friends and your family, or if you are in here today as a guest, I'm so glad that you're here. Some people might be afforded 90 years or 80 years or 45 or tomorrow. Jesus granted you today to hear the gospel so that you can be freed so that you can be forgiven and welcomed into God's family so that you can be known and loved perfectly and completely we recovered y'all I would urge you if you're someone that doesn't trust Christ today to know him. The gospel message is to trust and repent, to trust in Jesus and what he's done, his life, death, burial, resurrection, and to turn away from your sin. Well, what if I have to get my life clean up and all this stuff? What if I want to be a better influence to Jesus? All that kind of stuff. What if I wanted to be the kind of person that Jesus would want to invite into his home? Friend, you already are because he came for you. It doesn't mean that you get your life right. It means that Jesus makes you right. However, church received this. We can amen that. But as you, as someone that bears the gospel in their soul, you are also sent out into a world that is quickly evaporating away before our very eyes. We need to give it away. We need to give it away today. We need to give the gospel away constantly over and again. I'd celebrate two dudes right now. Christian, Swanner back there. Yeah, don't put your head down in your hand. Make you feel awkward right now. Ask him about how he's been able to lean in and pray with dudes that he doesn't work with, but rather meets 
on a regular basis because of his job. Or you can ask Blaine Greenhagen about how hail damage, that's not fun. How God uses this though to provide not one but two gospel opportunities, giving the gospel away to two individuals, y'all. God wants to do this through us because time is short. So we got no idea what Jesus preached to these individuals that are in prison. It's most likely fallen angels. Maybe we could guess. Martin Luther thought that he could. He thought that it was Jesus snubbing his nose at the devil, right? Ha ha, I got you, I beat you kind of thing. The point here is that we have to respond to the grace that God gives to us today. You can have assurance because he grants forgiveness in our hearts. But he doesn't just do that. He also gives us reason to remember over and again. Look at verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey those, those spirits that are in prison, fallen angels most likely, probably. Even though God was patient with them in the days of Noah. You know the rest of the story. Only eight people walked out. We need reminders over and again. You and I, we struggle with spiritual amnesia. When bad stuff comes our way, it's easier to remember or think about the stuff that's right in front of us. And it's harder to think about promises that he made in the past. Does it make sense? You following me with that? We can forget everything that happened in this life, all the promises and claims that he makes. Only because of a screaming, gnawing voice or screaming, gnawing pain that's right in front of us. And God knew about this. He knows his people really well. And that's why he instructed them in the Old Testament to build a calendar around his miraculous acts the things that he's done. Why do they celebrate Passover year after year after year? Why did the Jews do that? To be reminded of God rescuing them from Pharaoh. Why did they wake up and go to sleep praying the Shema over and again? Because they wanted to be reminded that God was the creator and master. We need reminders and we have one here in a massive way. And he gives us the reminder of baptism. Notice I'm not saying again, I'm not saying that baptism saves. Then why does Peter say baptism saves? Look at the language of it. He's saying baptism which corresponds to this. What does it correspond to? You have to go down a few more verses. A few more words. He says that it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. At the moment that we're lacking assurance in our relationship with God, we can look back at the moment when you and I are baptized. That doesn't sound like just some normal everyday kind of symbol, does it? When we relegate and just call baptism just a symbol, it doesn't have the same kind of oomph that it sounds like Peter has for it. 
It sounds like it's important. It sounds like there's substance to it. It's part of the discipleship process that Jesus gave to the apostles in Matthew 28. You go around, you teach people to obey everything I command you, and you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For us, it is certainly a symbol. It acts as a pledge, though. At the moment that we're baptized, it is us declaring to other people, to the church and lost people, I will forever follow you. I will forever, ever, ever trust you. I live for you. I go for you. I depend upon you daily. I want to glorify you. I find my life in being in you. I want to serve you and your people. And I want to love my neighbor. But the pledge is based upon a pledge that Jesus makes to us. And what does he promise to us? He promises. Friends, he chose you before the foundation of the world. He promises to love you always and forever and to sustain you forever. He promises to commission you. He promises to do good works through you. He promises to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He promises to forgive you. And he promises to change you. Baptism does not save. It is a representation, though, of you receiving his pledge to you. And so as we receive his pledge, we pledge our lives to him as well. Baptism is also a picture of resurrection power. That leads us to seeing a person of power. We need strength. Our hearts need strength. And it's this Jesus who is resurrected, who's now in heaven at the right hand of God with all powers being subjected to him. This is the Jesus in whom we trust. But when we doubt Jesus, is it a me issue or is it a him issue? And I'm tempted to disbelieve. Is that on him? Or is it on me? If Jesus had the power to save his own life, if this Jesus is the same one that spoke the universe in the creation, if that Jesus could have done anything to save his own life, but he chose to give, give it up freely for your sake, what makes you think that he's going to duck and run from you now when you're in your worst? He's trustworthy because of his authority and his power is perfect in your weakness. This Jesus isn't just inspiring like a good song or hearing a rah-rah chant from like some coach. This is a kind of Jesus that's worth laying your life down for. 
following into reckless abandon for. This Jesus that was bloodied and now is glorified as king of the universe, friends. He brings forgiveness to the guilty and comfort to the broken. And he brings hope to the hopeless. Do you have stability in your relationship with Jesus? Oh. We're going handheld right now. Do you need stability in your relationship with Jesus? Our hearts always need change. Always need renovation. That was the heartbeat of the Reformation. Semper Reformanda, always reforming. I'm not done yet. My friends, you and I, we're not either. And so it's an invitation to remember what he's done. It's an invitation to again receive forgiveness from him. And it's an invitation again for us to trust in the all-powerful, unstoppable Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I need you. We need you. We need you every hour. And we need you um, in the work that you've done on the cross for us. And we need you to be perfect in power and presiding over all things regarding heaven and earth. Every moment, every minute, every situation, every conversation, all authority is yours. And we need moments of remembrance too. Shape our hearts, please. And give us assurance of the hope that we have in you. Sure, but it's based upon your character and what you've done. Help us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.